Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Female Footballers Podcast. My name is Cassie Gray. I'm your host tonight. I am joined with uh, by Rachel Thomas, Jordan Elliott, and Haley Lucas, as well as a few other staff members that will pop in here and there, and I'll introduce them um, as they come in. Um, we have a very heavy topic that we're going to discuss this week, and it's important that we preface that with a few things. Um, we are going to discuss uh, uh, some heavy topics such as suicide. So if that is a trigger for you, we want to let you know that this is um, some sensitive things that we're going to be discussing. We also want to let you know that um, we'll go into some other heavy mental health related topics. So we want to just make sure that we preface letting you know that if those things are a trigger for you, please maybe skip this one. Um, this week, um, we it's been a very heavy week for all of us. Um, we, on Wednesday, were um, alerted to the fact that Stanford University soccer player Katie Meyer um, passed away at the age of 22. She was the senior and co-captain of Stanford's women's soccer team. She is highly known for her performance in the 2019 national championship against UNC, where she made some amazing uh, saves off of PKs in a shootout. Um, she got a lot of national attention for her spirited um, responses to herself and, and her celebrations. And that led to kind of a national presence for her in the past few years since then. Um, Katie Meyer passed away, unfortunately, um, by suicide. Um, there were no red flags before her death. Um, her parents were on an interview, a very emotional interview on NBC's Today Show, where they referenced um, her having a high level of pressure um, to, to balance her academics and her competitive environment. They referenced anxiety and stress to be perfect. Um, they also referenced a possible um, situation in with a friend that had something to do with disciplinary actions. Um, we'll go further into some of that in a little while, but I wanted to give you some backstory. Um, this situation has um, just permeated through our soccer community throughout the week, and it has really severely affected um, even those of us here on this podcast that did not know Katie personally. Um, before we get really into it, we just want to make sure that if you are suffering from um, mental health related issues and are um, in a space where you are concerned with harming yourself, we want to make sure that you are aware of the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. The number is 1-800-273-8255 and we encourage you to call. Um, with that being said, we're going to start discussing, we're going to kind of discuss uh, go into kind of the life of Katie Meyer to start and what she stood for and um, some interesting facts about her and things like that. So I want to open it up to Rachel, Jordan, and Haley and um, first start off with, um, I guess, your overwhelming kind of two-sentence thoughts um, after this week. Let's start with just how we're feeling. Anyone want to start? I can start. Um, this is Rachel. Um, I think it's just one word and it's gutted, you know, I mean, 
like you said, I don't know her personally, but just the whole picture of it all is just gutting. Jordan Haley, you guys want to? Yeah, I can hop in. Um, I think my first instinct was really, really, really sad. Um, and then my second feeling kind of being frustration um, that so many are uh, struggling like, like Katie was or have struggled in the past and um, maybe not knowing about it or wishing I could do something about it. So frustration um, to kind of prevent these mental health issues moving forward. How about you, Haley? How are you feeling? I think a combination. I frankly was kind of surprised at how hard it felt and how upset I was. Um, and of course, whenever these types of situations happen, I'm of course very saddened by it. But I think because of her proximity to at least my life being someone right across the bay team I've played against multiple times someone that I'm was friends with on LinkedIn like there was some type of weird like closeness um that really touched me and I think given what we'll talk about what she represents and everything that she stood for um it's just an incredible loss um, because it is someone who's younger than me that I've looked up to and someone um, that was a, such a light to our sport. Absolutely. I think this has um, resonated with almost every female soccer player I've talked to in the last few days. Um, this happened on the, the public was made aware on Wednesday, um, March 2nd. And we put a few different posts on our social platforms on Thursday and Friday, and we were inundated with messages from female athletes who have felt the same way you all just mentioned you feel. And, and I'll let you know how I feel as well. I did not know Katie personally, just like you, Haley, played against Stanford my whole growing up. Also, um, I'm from the South Bay, San Jose. Um, and this is very close to home. I'm, it's in my county, the county that showed up um, that announced all of this the other day and um, I think we all feel this way and I've been trying to make sense of like why I feel the way I do and I think it's because um, we either know us know in a sense of of the pressure that she might have felt and it's hard to know how she was feeling so I don't want to put those words into um, you know her existence but I I also think either that or we, we've seen it firsthand, we've felt it firsthand. We know many girls like a Katie Meyer who lived kind of loudly in her confidence. And um, if anything, it's, it's brought up a lot about how she came to be more nationally recognized. And that's kind of what I wanna start with. Um, so I'll tell you my background. I was at the 2019 game at Avaya Stadium when they won. I was also at the game, uh, the semifinal game when they won. And um, so this, the shootout situation, um, they put it on the Jumbotron when Katie made her first save and she went up to the camera and she had her jersey she was holding. And I don't know what the words she was saying. It looked like a hell yeah, or like a pointing to Stanford. 
And then she did the zipping of the lips and kind of dropping the zipper, locking, drop the lock. Um, and I was standing with a couple of former Cal soccer players and we all had very different reactions. Some of the girls standing there were like, oh, hell yeah. Like they loved her reaction. They felt like it was exactly what should have happened. And some of the girls in that group that we were standing in were like, oh, what, what was that? Like that was loud and bold. And in that moment, I knew exactly that that was a very intriguing, curious point of just a moment, in my opinion, I had kind of veered away from running female footballers for a little while. And that moment intrigued me so much that at the time I was only just doing private trainings. And the girl that I was privately training at the time was walking out of the game at the same time I was, I ran into her. I was like, what do you think about the game? And she was a big UNC fan. And she had a UNC hat on and she was like, oh my God, I hate to say this, but I'm really happy Stanford won. And I love their goalkeeper. And I was like, oh, really? And she was like, oh, my God, did you see your celebration? And I was like, yeah, tell me more. Like, tell me what you thought. Anyways, that, that led to the next month of, of sessions with her where we discussed uh, Katie Meyer. And so I started to feel like I knew her and I started to follow her on social media. And I watched, listened to some of the podcasts she was on. And I, um, you know, I started following Stanford Women's Soccer a little bit more. And um, being a Cal Bear, that was hard for me. But, um, <laughs> but you know, it was, um, I think we all in that moment had a lot of feelings. So I wanna give you guys a chance to say like, I know you all watched either in real time or after, what were your thoughts, your initial reaction? How did you react to that? Rachel, let's start with you. So we'll kind of go in that same. Sure, um, yeah, I was watching with my girls. So they, I have three daughters. So my my oldest must be in, it must've been 12-ish, right? Was that three years ago? Yeah. yeah. So they were 12 and the younger one was nine. And um, I remember having actually conflicted reaction. And because I think the initial was sort of taken aback. And then I was like processing this with my girls, you know, watching this and I'm like, and it's Stanford. So it's really hard sometimes to just get on board with rooting for them. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but I was, it was this conflicted, like, whoa, oh, wow. Like, cause we've never really seen that. Like, cause she, I think cause of the way she just like looked into the camera and like did it, you know? And, and so I think I was a little taken aback cause I was like, whoa, that was really like bold. But then I was kind of, I'm watching my girls and they were, you know, kind of processing. I don't remember exactly what they thought, but, um, but I just was like, well, she feels really good. And she should like, those were amazing saves. And that was kind of the direction I went with that. And, um, then I sort of had this whole conversation with myself about the camera aspect of it and how this generation is, has a different relationship with the camera than like my generation. And so that was sort of where I went. I was like, oh, well, this is like kind of how this generation is, you know, they, this is how it works. And so, um, that sort of made it less of this, like, wow, she was being really kind of like, a little distasteful, right? That my first reaction was a little dis, well, like sort of like, what is she doing? But um, then, as I sort of processed it, and I was like, oh, well, maybe that's that's where where we're at, you know? And um, and I mean, so bold, just love that. I mean, I always love that. So anyway, yeah. How about you, Jordan? I uh, I definitely had the oh hell yeah reaction. Um, I think 
the first thing that my mind went to once like the critics started rolling in the next day and honestly immediately after the game was like if she were a man um none of this press would be calling her arrogant or boastful or you know any of the other uh terms that they use to describe women essentially when they show confidence and exude their pride so um for me like having played against her and um you know having just seen firsthand we've all seen firsthand being uh Cal soccer players like the level that it, it takes to get to a national championship and then you know let alone win and by saving PKs like uh she deserved to relish in her success and and celebrate the way that she did and I think if it were a man um the conversation wouldn't have even been brought up it would have been he would have probably been um like idolized even more so I definitely had the reaction of like oh hell yeah I love to see this um she deserves to be proud and loud and um, I was, you know, like everyone has said on this call, we're all uh, Cal women soccer alum, so hard to get behind Stanford sometimes, but was super happy to see um, them and, and that success that day. For sure. How about you, Haley? I think a first reaction was I kind of laughed because I was like, oh my gosh, this is so unique. And for me, I'm not the kind of person who displays confidence like that it's very different from anything I would do and honestly if I saw most people do that I'd be like mm, not my gig do your thing but I think my initial reaction was we need a little bit more of that because we don't see it and so I was excited and um it made me laugh in like a like this is pretty cool kind of way like it was just so different and um it definitely made me remember her and like she stood out not just because of um the confidence she showed but just that so few people and women um do that and that we need more of that and that confidence can come in so many forms and that that is one way that she can show it and she should be very proud of herself like we said that is an incredible moment um and I mean, yes, of course, I don't wear red, but I have a lot of respect for Stanford and the program they've built and the incredible young women that come out of that program. Nothing but respect for them and um, just thinking of them all also during this time. Yeah, um, I think you guys all kind of hit it on the head as far as um, what this has brought up and why I was so intrigued is everything you all said was there's many different viewpoints about what she did. And I would agree with all of them, even though they're all different. And I think that Haley, what you just said resonates a lot. There are many different ways as a female athlete to show confidence. And often we want to put um, a label to what it looks like and what it sounds like and what it is. And we often um, fall short of describing it and showing it in one way because you really just can't. It can be many things, it can look like many things. And if anything, what I take away from it is we need to educate girls to be more accepting of different types of confidence. 
Um, acceptance to me is really key because when you think about culture on a team, you can have loud presence of confidence. You can have quiet confidence. There isn't a right way to be confident. And I do think depending on the generation and the coaches you have and the programs you've been a part of and club teams or whatever, that that notion of what confidence looks like is going to be different for everybody. And when you bring those different levels of confidence and different ways to exude it, it can only help your the culture of your team, but only if everybody's accepting that we're all going to exude it differently. And um, that you often need the difference um, to be successful and have great culture. Um, and so that's sort of the journey I started on after watching Katie Meyer and wanting to teach girls about confidence and not that it looks, it, there isn't one way to be, there isn't one look for the way it is. And, um, and I think that's important. Um, on the same notion, that also brings up a level of um, what, um, kind of strength looks like. And um, I think it's important that we reference a few different uh, statistics. Um, according to the NCAA, 30% of women who are student athletes uh, report anxiety and depression, yet only 10% um, seek care. Um, and I think uh, this notion of confidence and strength um, kind of need to be redefined within our community because not only are we very judgmental of each other in the way that we exude confidence we also haven't ever really taken the time to define what it means today because it's a concept that's going to evolve over time as the sport changes too um, and so uh, this notion of confidence goes along the lines of mental health in a way and um, before we kind of go into the darker side of this, uh, what else do you guys want to discuss when it comes to Katie Meyer and the way that she lived um, her life kind of in a really louder, confident way? Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, just one thought that comes to mind. Um, I think on Wednesday when, like you said, Cassie, the public first received the news of uh, Katie's passing like one of the first things that I did after looking at and like reading the Stanford soccer women's soccer um, Instagram post was go to Katie's profile and like um, something that just kind of resurfaced for me is like nothing you see on social media is uh, can be taken for fact like you look at her Instagram and it looks like she's having a great time returning back to campus for her final semester um, you see all kind of the happy memories and I it just kind of really struck me like you never know what someone's going through and I don't want to I don't know what Katie was going through I don't want to um, you know drive her narrative or, or put words to her existence like you said but just made me think like I can't take uh, social media as the truth at all times like um, and it just made me reflect on like my own profile, my friends' profiles, like how they come off versus um, what they might be going through when, you know, no one else is in the room. So that's, I think social media kind of came to mind as like a, as a like, uh, it seems like a mirror for your life, but that can be really misleading. Go ahead, Rach. 
Yeah, I wanted to um, totally agree with you on that, Jordan. I wanted to touch on what you were talking about, Cassie, with the different types of confidence, because I think it's also important to remember that um, while your college career is, is you know, unless you're tra you transfer somewhere, is, you know, at the same place each year and really each season is different and is a different group of women playing soccer together and your confidence and your role may change a little bit. And that doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're going to be, you know, this, an introvert is all of a sudden going to be this loud, proud, you know, leader, uh, vocal leader, but just, you know, that's just the natural way of how groups work. And so, you know, I think that that's just something to point out that it's not like you just get, okay, I got there, I'm confident, and this is the kind of confident I am, and here we go. Um, because you have to look at, you know, whatever group you're in and, and all that stuff. And that's just, you know, I mean, that works itself out. But I just think it's important for everybody to remember that confidence can look different in everyone and different in the different situations that you're put in. Totally. Go ahead, Hale. And I would also say that I think Katie Meyer caught people off guard because of how loud and confident she is. And I think we really need to recognize that you can be incredibly confident and also have mental health issues and that they're not the same thing. That one is a mental state of confidence. The other one is a chemical imbalance and something that um, needs to be treated as a serious medical issue. And I know we'll talk about like going into like mental toughness and all that kind of stuff as part of strength, but recognizing that they're incredibly different and that any type of person who exudes confidence in any which way can, will, has dealt with these mental health issues. Absolutely. I think that you both, you're all hitting it right on the head when, when we talk about, for some reason, there's this notion within female athletes that we need to arrive to uh, a state of confidence that's not ever going to waver. And that when you hit this, this staircase and you get to the top, that you're set and that these athletes, even at the United States national team level, have it and they never falter and they never lose it. And that's just completely inaccurate. And I mean, I've gotten pushback from my role, even within this organization as somebody who, you know, wasn't the loud, confident type. And now I'm educating young girls on it. And is that, does that work? Because I wasn't the most confident that I'm not qualified to teach it. And it's sort of like, no, because confidence is fluid. Confidence is, it's a feeling. It's not something you, it's not always tangible. It's something you feel and you exude in many different ways and it can be fleeting at times. And that's the hardest part. And it comes with um, a lot of the time, unfortunately, female athletes only feel confident or, or excuse me, only they often derive their self-worth based on some of those feelings. And um, I think that's where it leads to sometimes can be a dangerous area with, with mental health. So I think maybe we, need to jump right into that side of things. Um, this, this often, so on top of being accepting of the different ways in, in which girls are and exude confidence, this also has brought up uh, the conversation around what a strong female athlete looks like. And um, I think that that is a, 
another reason why this triggered so many girls uh, and why this resonated with so many girls because um, when you see somebody, like you said, Haley, where you're like, yeah, we need more of that. And then you hear about her death and the way that it happened, you're you're very bothered because you're like, okay, was she just not that way? And I think it's important to note that like, you can be a very strong person and have a lot of strength and also be simultaneously struggling very much so. And that those two things can happen at the same time and that does not make you weak. And I think that that's what this to me has brought up the most. And again, same thing with confidence. Like she is still a very confident person, even though this occurred. You know what I mean? What are your guys' thoughts on kind of the notion of strength or even the need to redefine what a strong female athlete looks like? I think the traditional model of strong female athlete or just a strong person in general is someone who can do it on their own and doesn't need help, I think is like kind of, that's what we're told, like get through it, grind, do it and come out on the other side better for it and stronger. But I think people who don't ask for help in any area of their life, whether it's school, sport, work, anything, are really putting themselves a disservice and they're not tapping in. I think there's some type of strength that comes from breaking down those hard walls that you have up, asking for help. And to me, the greatest strength is vulnerability. If someone can show me who they are, is willing to connect on a deeper level and expose themselves in a way that might not be the most comfortable. I think strength is about things, doing things that are hard sometimes. And that is so much harder than putting up a wall or going on a journey um, to maintain whatever vision of that strong athlete is. How about you too? What else do you guys think? Yeah, I think especially my generation was brought up on that. Just like, I mean, it was great because women, we were strong and the, we had this national team that was showing us this new, this new way to be. Um, but the vulnerability part, I think, is key and the, you know, just the human element. And um, that's at the end of the day, you know, you're human first. And, um, and I think that's something that, you know, a lot of, you know, everybody faces, but especially when you're in these high pressure situations, um, you know, probably like I would imagine how celebrities start getting like, they just don't, they're, they build these walls, you know, and, and rather, you know, and so I can, it, it's hard, but I think I, I feel like we're moving the needle in the right direction, especially over the last few years. And and talking about this and these words being out there about mental health and sort of normalizing that, you know, it's totally perfectly normal to go to therapy. And that doesn't mean you're going to be in therapy for life, or maybe you will, because it might really help your mental health. And that is okay. You know, just like recognizing that we can do these things for our mental health and not just go it alone, sort of like we were kind of told, um, especially I think females, just get so much pressure for to be, to, to have it all, you know, have the, the brains and the athletics and the, you know, the looks and all that. So it can be hard. What do you think, Jordan? 
I feel like the ideal of a strong woman like needs to be fluid because if we have one idea of what a strong woman should be, let's just say muscular thighs, you know, big, strong arms, tall, uh, fast, then everyone who might not have those qualities is going to think that they're not strong. And I feel like uh, having more of a fluid definition, like Haley was speaking to, of like, not only physical strength, but also mental strength and vulnerability. Like, I think everybody is strong in their own sense of the term. And like, instead of defining it, I think like, um, I don't know, like just more things need to be called out as strong. So like Haley said, like being vulnerable is also being strong, um, you know, lifting weights and doing your max rep PR uh, for, you know, what is it, back squat? Like that is super strong as well. It's just like different definitions of the same term. And we need to talk about the wide range of those more often. Absolutely. Um, I would define strength as just, um, I would agree with you. I think it needs to be fluid. Um, I think just like, I, I, I think um, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. And when I was growing up in high school on magazine covers, it was always like skinny, skinny models, right? Like Kate Moss. And over time, our society has pushed back against that norm and has tried to redefine what like a healthy body looks like. And so when we talk about the physical sense, there's been a redefinition over the last 10 years or so of what um, models should look like, all that kind of stuff, right? So I would equate that to like the, the female athlete world in that we need to redefine the mental side. And it's hard because it's not tangible all the time. It's not something you can just look at. Um, I think we're slowly redefining the notion that there's a specific body type for a soccer player. There's not. You need all sorts of body types to be a soccer player, right? And that you need all different levels of physical strength in soccer, sure. But mentally, I think you need the same. Again, for that culture, think of culture like a recipe and you need a lot of different ingredients there. And those ingredients are not always tangible, physical things you can see on a video that you send into a college coach. They are things that you embody and that they are, they are a struggle. You know, athletes have pressure to maintain grades, to eat healthy, to have regular consistent performance in their sport, to strength train, to prevent injuries. There's so much at stake and there's so much pressure. So the strength is going to move like a Richter scale. It's not always going to stay. And the goal, sure, is to try to have consistent mental strength. But that is unrealistic, in my opinion, of anybody, of even Olympic athletes. And we have seen that in the last few years where, and, and the conversations around those athletes have really started the conversation about mental health. But if I'm being honest, I'm, I'm, I'm angry. I'm angry that we're not there yet. I'm impatient that we are dragging our feet. I mean, how many women are we going to have this conversation about until something freaking changes? And, and I'm frustrated because Katie Meyer was an amazing athlete. And according to her friends, an amazing charismatic person that just brought light and love to everybody around her. And I don't, 
it's just not fair and we don't want to lose those types of people and I don't know if everybody knows this but according to NCAA suicide is the third leading cause of death among student athletes this is a growing problem in our sport and all sports not just soccer and um I know I'm on my soapbox now and I'm I'm okay with it but um when I think of strength I think of self-awareness um I think that the more self-aware that somebody can be the stronger they will become and that we everybody you don't have to be a psychologist you don't have to be a mental coach you just have to engage your players your children your peers in different ways of helping arrive at different levels of self-awareness and it just starts with conversation it starts with questions it starts with reflection it's as a coach you have the ability to bring self-awareness to your athletes and lift them up based on what they become aware of and i think it's really frustrating that um that we try to pinpoint and label what exactly strength is and a lot of the time we're compared to a male version of strength and a male version of confidence and we're different and to be fair everybody's different and the notion of mental health and strength even on the male side is so messed up in my opinion it's i mean a, a man is afraid to be vulnerable our society doesn't allow for vulnerability at all and i agree with that statement completely um so you know going on this on this notion um I guess back to the feelings, we, we know how we all feel about her death. Um, I don't wanna to get too into the depths of, of, um, of that, but I think it's important to discuss how you guys felt being, you're all collegiate athletes at a also neighboring school that's very similar to Stanford with a lot of resources. Um, I'd like to discuss a little bit of that, um, having been female soccer players at this level. Um, what do you guys think? There's been a lot, Bethany Balser put out there and it was really reshared this week um, where she was like, you know, there's been a lot of people saying, check on your friends, check on your friends. And her notion was like, we all check on our friends. And sometimes that's not enough. So, you know, what are your guys' thoughts about um, seeking help, getting help, resources, all that kind of stuff? Kind of open-ended. I think it's too difficult right now um you know even if the resources are there i think that they can be hard to seek out yourself and oftentimes if you know you're struggling like the last thing that you want to do is um you know jump through hurdles and hoops to seek that help um that in itself can feel overwhelming so uh, i think it's way too hard i think that the help your friends mentality is um, great, but I also think um, specifically speaking about student athletes, like coaches have a responsibility, athletic departments have a responsibility, the school has a responsibility to make sure that um, players are made aware of all of the resources that they have um, and regularly checked in on um, for mental health. I, I, at this point, like, um, and I'll, I'll just bring this up because it's something that's been weighing on me too, but we actually had uh, at Cal a field hockey player pass last, just last year, um, also by suicide and like uh, just having two of 
those same deaths like really not that far apart and really close to home like uh shows how big of an issue it is um and so for me like at this point mental health uh there are no excuses for why there shouldn't be more resources um and I think it's as it should be as much of a priority if not more important than like uh you know everything else that goes into being a great athlete should be a priority in in student athletes routines and lives and I think that starts with um you know the top and and making sure that it's weaved into what is already such a busy busy uh, schedule in life I'm so sorry to hear about that, Jordan. Um, I think you're you're totally right that this needs to be something that's not that's woven into the experience and not something that's just there when a crisis um, emerges. You know, I think I, I had a really hard time with my transition to Cal because of many reasons: the level of play, the level of academics, you know, just the it was a, it was a rough transition. And I remember like, you know, I, the coaches were really trying to help and did a great job, did everything they could do. Um, and I did go to the tank center and like talk to, you know, a counselor and things like that. But after that, it was like, okay, I'm finally feeling better. And I, I don't think I went many times. I just sort of, you know, got through it. You know, I mean, my teammates helped me and just, I adjusted, but, um, I think if they're, is this sort of, I'm not hand-holding, but just it should be that transition to college should have a lot of support and then through college because it is such a busy schedule. And um, instead of just putting the Band-Aids on them when they come up, like helping prevent them from happening. And, and you know, it's one thing to say, here's a list of resources for you rather than, hey, for you know, half hour today, we're going to break up into partners and, you know, talk about things or, or, and, or we, and we brought in this mental health expert on this specific topic to help you learn, you know, about this and that it can happen to you. Cause the other thing I learned was I was very confident and never really had anxiety or felt, you know, um, so like depressed, like I did. And I, I didn't know those feelings. Those were new to me and I needed help like processing that. And I think that as, you know, if student athletes can be taught how to discuss it and that it's normalized and it's not something that, um, is just when things get tough, then it could do so much it could, it could do so much for so many people just to have a better experience. And to be honest, be like competing at better levels and just, you know, being more successful in their, their student athlete life, you know, in their academics, in their transition, this big transition from, you know, home into the, to the great big world. And um, so I think there's a lot of opportunity. And I think I really, really hope that a lot of universities are going to step up to see this um, as, I mean, how many does it take? And it just, it needs, it, it, it's, a, it's a serious problem. And I think 
as I've seen on social media, like Stanford has shared it. I'm sure other athletic programs have shared it, like reach out to us if you need to talk to someone. And like you guys have mentioned, I don't think that's enough. I think it needs to be like systematically instituted into the lives of student athletes, of professional athletes, um, high school athletes. I don't think the age particularly matters. Of course, resources are typically greater at older and higher levels, but why don't we have a physical your physical is done at the beginning of the year. Why don't we have some type of mental related physical that's required? Um, I'm someone who's like very big into like preventative medicine opposed to like we've talked about the band-aids. And if we can put those systems in place for everyone, because I think a lot of people don't necessarily know that they're struggling also at times, like maybe they're not um, firing on all cylinders and they're not aware of it because that's just kind of their they're normal. And if talking to someone, um, and of course, a professional is going to be able to evaluate whether or not that person needs additional resources and care related to these things. But if we can do a better job screening and um, not letting stuff just kind of fly under the radar. And like we said, also, it's not just this week or once Katie's story is no longer a headline that we don't focus on it anymore. I think a lot of the stuff with our mental skills and mental health we don't realize or we don't want to put the work in to know that it is conditioning and it's something that you have to constantly work like any of your physical muscles. It needs to be put more into the general um, consciousness and kind of instituted. And I always go back to this because there's going to be plenty of people who disagree and it's all about sports and stuff. But from a performance perspective, again, like if someone is dealing with some type of mental health issue, some type of um, mental strength related to confidence, those kind of things. If those are not at the highest level, how are they going to perform on the field? How are they going to win games? How are you going to win championships that fuel your funding? So if that's what it needs to be, that that's the only reason you're going to give these resources to student athletes, you probably need to do some self-reflection, but also um, that's what it needs to happen. 100%. And I think you all hit it on the head. For me, um, the preventative measures that you guys are talking about um, can look like many different things. At the collegiate level, a lot of programs like Stanford, like Berkeley, like whatever other top 25 programs in the country, they do have mental resources and help. They often will have a, a sports psychologist for um, an athletic um a program or a few different teams, you know, you might share one or whatnot. And that's great. We had somebody come and we checked in with them in spring, maybe once in my four years there, but that was a long time ago and we had it, but there are many schools that don't have those resources. But my preventative frustration has more to do with, again, you guys were talking about a Band-Aid. We keep putting the Band-Aid on players at a level where they've already created the habits that they have as an adult. Like we're talking about adults, women in, in collegiate programs are adults. They're over 18 years old at the national level, the Olympic level. These are adults that are training, trained professionals really. And my frustration is these are learned behaviors or beha not, excuse me, not behaviors, but they're issues that go for too long without those resources. So in my opinion, and this is what we do and why we exist at Female Footballers, um, is start at the youth level so that you don't need band-aids later. And like you said, Haley, the preventative measures, just like you would say with a physical injury, for example, we as a soccer community have 
millions of dollars go into eating, healthy eating and hydration when it comes to performance. We have, you know, Gatorade and huge corporations and companies dedicated and sports um, nutritionists at clubs and all sorts of things. We have all these preventative measures to make sure that girls are fueling their body for performance. We have millions of dollars put into strength training to prevent muscle tears, ACL prevention, warm-ups, all sorts of stuff that are preventative measures so that girls don't get injured. We barely touch mental health prevent prevention issues. And I think the frustrating part is it starts with education. Girls at a young age need to be educated of what mental health is because it's a very foreign concept to children. And there's a huge difference between mental strength, mental health, mental illness. And when you were talking in the beginning, Haley, about Katie Meyer, a person that feels like there is no way out, that that's a chemical imbalance, that's an illness in a way. And you can equate it to, this is a very generalization, so don't hate me for this statement, but think about, um, think about cancer, for example, that's an illness and some cancers can be beaten, some cancers can't, right? And then there's a sickness, a sickness like a cold. Um, there are different levels of illnesses that occur and there are ways to combat illness and um, therapies and such that you could do on the mental side, sure. But regardless, think about the health industry. There are billions of preventative measures so that you don't get sick, so that thing, you eat healthy so you or do things so that you don't get cancer. And regardless of what you do, you're still gonna have people that get cancer and that pass away and that that happens too. And I think on the mental side, there are going to be people with mental illnesses that are genetic, that they can't do anything about. Again, it's self-awareness and it's combating and educating at a young age so that we don't have to put so many damn band-aids on adults, you know? And, and maybe that is a super generalization and, and maybe sounds a little, you know, loud for right now, but I, I'm just trying to give a tangible analogy for, for mental health in a space where maybe people that are listening aren't as familiar with, but first of all, it takes us as the people who are concerned about this to educate ourselves. If you're a coach listening, do your homework, because another frustrating thing I have to say about this are the coaches that come to me and they say, my, these players, this generation, they're just soft. And I have to say like hundred percent disagree. I, I think that is coming from somebody who has a notion of what they deem strength and what they felt was strength when they played. And just like an educator or a parent nowadays, like I said in the last podcast a couple of weeks ago, we all have our tools in our toolbox that we bring from our experience, but that doesn't mean that we uh, can just use those tools to help the next generation. We have to educate ourselves on the current situations going on around these young girls, like social media, like what Jordan said, like we need to educate on the statistics around what's happening right now and learn more and add more tools to our toolbox to help these players. As a coach, that's your job. As a parent, that's your job. As anybody surrounding yourself with these student and female athletes, we if we wanna be supportive, you gotta do your homework. You can't just bring what you think you know because we have no idea the pressures these girls are under. I mean, Rachel and I are from a completely different generation and the pressures, although we can relate a lot, are very different. 
very different. So I'm sorry, I know I get, I get very passionate about this because quite frankly, I sometimes feel like I'm sitting in a box screaming about this stuff for the last eight years and it's taking too long in my opinion to make a difference. And like I said earlier, like I don't want this situation to keep recurring because, um, and I also don't wanna minimize Katie's experience to just putting it into this umbrella. Like she was a unique individual that deserves her own story and conversation. Um, but it does, I think it resonates with so many people because it brings up a lot of this. More thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, tying back, I think your cancer analogy is important because like you said, um, we put all this attention and effort into preventing that. And I think we have plenty of examples to realize that that mental health piece also leads to death. It is also a way that um, someone's life can end and really paying attention, like you said, coaches, parents, peers. I agree with kind of touching back on the um, having your friends check in on you thing is not enough. But I do think it is your responsibility just as an aware individual, not only to be aware of your own feelings and signs, but be made aware of potential signs that others could be showing so that you can be the best educated to be aware of what these things are. Because I have no idea in this situation if any signs were visible. Of course, we don't know that. But a lot of people show signs. That's why they're signs. And while we can't rely on those, of course, which in this situation, it, when we say like, oh my gosh, she was so confident, so loud and things that we don't typically um, associate with kind of a disassociation, kind of coming inward and being quiet. Part of that education piece is knowing what to look for and having these conversations and talking about it. The more we talk about these things, one, the more likely someone who's maybe dealing with um, this struggle can come out and talk about it, but also just the more aware this conversation becomes in the national conversation and we can um, take better care of each other. Yeah, you know, we're, we're taught, you take CPR classes, first aid classes, and we're taught to look for these signs of, you know, heart attacks and things like that, what these mean, and, um, and then what to do, right? And there should be more of an educational training, I feel like, on that, that what these, what some of, like you said, they're, they're signs for a reason, because they are, have been, not common, but have shown up enough for it to be something that to to be on the lookout for. Cause you know, I, I think, um, I, I mean, I've never been in a space like that, but I would imagine that, um, I, I have been in a situation where I don't want to share information because I don't want to be a burden on the person that I'm speaking with or whatever, even though they may be a very good friend or family member who I'm just like, not, you know, I don't want to open up about that for whatever reason. So, um, I think, but that perhaps there are signs, you know, that you can pick up on. So I think it is important to educate. And I really hope that the, the conversation goes, gets louder because Cassie, you're screaming in a box. I'm in the box with you. And, and, um, it's you're all in the box <laughs> and, um, I think another really important thing to, to highlight is just, you know, we're still, we're, we're just sort of like, 
getting out of treading water in this really like unstable pandemic world. And these young people um, really lost, you know, some time in their lives. And that's not to say that it was a waste or anything, because certainly a lot of people were able to get new hobbies or, you know, shift their things, but it's a pretty significant, um, you know, shake up to the core of like the structure. Like I can imagine for Katie and anyone who was in college, like now your college, like you had this vision of what college was going to be. And like, so not that that was a, a reason for her um, feelings, but um, just recognizing that we know across the board that anxiety and all and depression and substance abuse and all those things skyrocketed with the pandemic and that we need to be really thoughtful for for everyone and especially our young people you know they they didn't have these experiences in these formative years um especially the you know if we're specifically talking about college age you know when you're you're a young adult you're on your own sort of now and doing things so um, I think we just need to, you know, just give some more grace to them and, and let, you know, let them heal. <laughs> so. Absolutely. I just think we need to get our priorities straight. I, I personally think this is a big crisis within our specific sport and all sports, to be honest, but as a society, like we are doing a disservice to our female athletes right now. And um, if you're a part of the girls academy and you're listening, if you're a young girl listening, a parent of a daughter in the girls academy, that's one of the few um, avenues where girls have an advisory committee and they have a panel discussion that they get to go to the commissioner and discuss things. And we personally know the commissioner on this staff and she's amazing and she will listen. But I do think just like the women of our national team have been so vocal and pushing against the status quo for equal pay and having to self-advocate about things that just don't feel right, it's up to our youth at this point. If we can't convince the collegiate level, the NWSL level, the, the any of it, if we can't convince these people that are in charge of these programs to make changes at that level, then it's got to come from our teenagers, from the parents. I mean, God knows that parents have so much pull in the club soccer system. They can very much dictate a lot more than they think. Um, because to be honest, parents, you are what fund the billion dollar industry. So if you want the billion dollar industry to slightly shift and change and help your daughters a little bit more, you have a say in that. You just need to speak up. And it's quite frustrating when a lot of the money right now, for example, is going into data. We're tracking girls. Like if you're a parent who's just bought a device for your daughter's shoe to track her movements and her technical skill, freaking I'm sorry, but maybe take that money and have her see a therapist, even if there's no quote unquote problem she's dealing with, because therapy is a preventative measure. It's not something you need to wait to, to go to till there's a problem. It's something that you give her an outlet that is not you, that is not her coach, that is not her teacher or her peer. It's a safe space for her to talk about these things. And I, I, I know I'm sounding angry about it, but again, it's like her priorities are off. You know, like if you're buying the, I don't know, if you're, if you're putting your child into all these courses on preventative ACLs and whatever, if you're going and spending a fortune on, on um, different ID camps and all that kind of stuff, like 
take just a slight sliver of that money and put it into something mental skills related. I don't care what it is at this point, but put some effort into it. We have a ton of things that we offer and most likely they're not expensive because we give too much of a shit um, to let it go by. And I just think that I'm frustrated because I think that first and foremost, like the club systems, no offense, they're not going to always do this. Like they're, they're not putting the resources in the right place, in my opinion. Um, think about it. If you're a parent or a player, does your comp program, your club, anything, do they have mental health resources for you? All right. If you are the ages of, if you're playing comp at age six, that happens six to 18 years old. If, if there is not a mental health resource in your club, speak up, ask why, go to the parent meetings, talk to your coach, ask your coach as a parent when your kid has their meetings or exit meetings after a season and ask, you know, how much, what percentage of your time in practices are spent on the mental side of the game? Show that that's a priority for you and your daughter and you'll see a shift because honestly, you dictate so much more than you think. Sorry, I will stop. I just get really <laughs> riled up about this stuff, but it's got to change. It just, it has to. And um, more people need to speak up. If you are listening and you're a former player, a current player, a parent, a coach, and you feel all of us talking about what we feel, if this resonates with you, do something. And if you don't know what to do, reach out to us. Our emails are on our website, femalefootballers.org. We have a lot we can offer you to be a part of this, to talk about it, but there is a lot of directions we can send you in that if you want to be a part of the conversation, get involved. And it, you, it could be minimal. You don't have to coach a team and you could be a mom and do this. Like, I, you know, there's a lot you could do. Sorry, I'll stop now. Any, any last thoughts about this topic? Because I'm sure we could go on and on, but um, any last thoughts? You guys are good. I, I think just, you know, just remember the human in the Jersey, you know, and, and remember that that's the most important thing. Um, soccer is the, is a beautiful game and so fun and can allow for so much help mentally. Um, but just, just remember that, that we're human. I think, um, to add that this next Sunday, we are having a college community meeting, um, and just a little quick background on what it is. Um, it's a space for women's college soccer players, current college players to gather, to discuss topics that are important to them, to have access to resources, professional, personal development, and to talk about hard conversations like this and have access to resources that may be of benefit to you or your teammates. So this conversation is called um, normalizing the struggle and it is about the challenges of being a college student athlete and the mental toll that that takes, which is very relevant to um, what we are talking about and what we've experienced in this past week. So please come, it's a March 13th, Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We would love to have you. You can speak up and share, you can sit and listen. We would just love to have you be part of the conversation and to bring college women's players together um, of all 
divisions of all conferences and just have a space to share and connect with others with similar life experiences. Absolutely, we really hope you join us. And um, in closing, um, I don't, I don't want to get too far away from the topic. Um, Katie Meyer was an amazing athlete, uh, an amazing student. It sounds like an amazing friend. If you are a teammate of hers, um, if you've played against her, with her, or you just don't even know her and this whole story resonates with, with you, um, we just want to say we feel you. And we're so sorry for those who have felt this loss very deeply. Um, our thoughts and prayers go out to her family and her friends and her teammates and the entire program at Stanford University, the entire athletic program. Um, we've loved the notions of solidarity we've seen where players are, you know, writing KM19 on things and we hope that that doesn't stop. Um, we hope that her story and what she stood for while she was here um, really is something that people will keep alive because ultimately what she did for our sport when it comes to confidence and um, strength and normalizing the struggle and the conversations we're having tonight is a legacy that is very, very important. And we hope that, um, that we just keep that legacy alive. And um, so we really thank you for listening today. Um, please make sure you join our college community meeting if you're a college player. Um, we also have a uh, a lot coming up in store uh, this summer. We're gonna be having a big program coming out that we're excited about. If you are local to the Bay Area, we come out to training sessions. We work with clubs, we do clinics, uh, we do private training. We have a lot of different resources. We do parent education nights. So hit us up, um, email us or, or send us a DM on social platforms and um, we hope to hear from you. Thank you guys so much for your time today. And um, and uh, thank you, yeah. We hope to hear from lots of people on this. Please comment on, on this. We wanna hear from you and thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks.